today we are in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17, the story of the rich young ruler or the rich young man. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today, I want to share a concept with you. I came up with this. It's kind of my wording or way of saying this. Um, but, but I want to share it today. You guys can peek at it, and then I'm going to turn it around. I want to talk about the God chair. The God chair. And here's the idea. I think that we were designed for worship. I mean, we were created, engineered for God in our lives. That every single person has a spot in their life that's called the God chair. Where God is supposed to sit. Where God is meant to be at the center of your life. And it all relates to really worship. So I, I give some words around the God chair. Um, but, but you can think of it as glorified. We were meant to give honor and prominence to God in our lives. Meant to lift God up. Our lives are meant to be a spotlight on God. We were meant to form identities. Okay? We were meant to actually have our identity formed in God. We were meant to find our purpose, our passion, our self-worth in who we are in Christ. We were meant to sacrifice to God. To give of our time, our talent, our treasure, to make sacrifices in our lives for what God wants. We are supposed to give our energy and our focus to God's will and God's plan. Part of that's corporate, too. We were meant to follow God, not just by ourselves, but we were always supposed to follow God with other people. We were supposed to find our crowd, our family, our people, that we all serve God together. And then, love and allegiance. We were meant to love God. We meant to stay true to God. That means that deep down we want to both express our love to God and also remain dedicated to it. We're meant to be protective of our relationship with God. So everybody here has a God chair. That's not a question. Okay, you were meant to have God in your life. You were designed to have God in your life. And you were meant to live a life of worship for God. Everybody has a God chair. The question is, who or what is sitting in your God chair? Now, no matter this, see, we're made to worship something. And if we don't worship God, we're going to worship something else. A lot of times we sit ourselves down in our own God chair. And we worship ourselves instead of really putting God in a place of prominence. This is exactly what happens to Adam and Eve in the garden. Okay, when the serpent comes to Eve and to Adam there, he says, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Before Adam and Eve are tempted by the fruit, they are tempted. The very first temptation is to be like God. 
to sit themselves down in the God chair. Now maybe that sounds weird, but, but start to think about some of these words in your own life. Can you glorify yourself? Sure, how many of you know somebody that's always glorifying themselves? Always talking about themselves, always trying to look good, always trying to have honor and prominence for themselves there in the God chair. Can you form an identity around yourself? Yeah, I know people that for whom their world is their world. It's their feelings, good or bad, it's what they want, and that's all. They're in the God chair. Can you sacrifice your, yeah, how many people do you know that to get what they want are willing to be cutthroat? Sacrifice everybody, sacrifice their relationships, sacrifice other people for themselves, for their own needs. Can that be corporate? <laughs> yeah, how many people do you know that they only hang out with people that make them feel good. Okay, they only, they only hang out with people that they can use, that can add something that can make them look good in front of other people. What about love and allegiance? How often do we all choose ourselves? We base our lives around ourselves instead of truly care about and caring about other people. See this? Or, or instead of loving ourselves, I know people that don't love themselves. And they give their lives away to not loving themselves and not letting themselves receive any of the love that they don't think that they deserve. Do you understand? Whether you love yourself or you hate yourself, you're still in the gun chair. You're still making your decisions and wrapping your life around you. And the Bible has a word for things that go in the God chair that are not God. It's called an idol. It's called an idol. The Bible talks about idols a lot. For one thing, on a real practical level, in the ancient world, they actually worshipped idols. They had statues that they would go and they would worship. Okay? And I have to admit, as a young Christian, I would read all this stuff about idols. And it's all through the Bible. And I would think, this is kind of stupid. Okay? Like, like, just like carving an image and saying, okay, now this is my God. Well, I made that image. That's a really ridiculous idea, in my opinion, to worship an idol. But, but the longer I've sat with this idea, what I began to realize is it's not maybe as foolish as we might think. In places like India, families have a box in their living room that has an altar to their family God, and they go to this box, and they lay down their altar, and they have this box in a place of honor in their house, and they make all kinds of sacrifices to, that, to the family gods to keep them happy. And we think, that sounds strange. But how many of you have a box in your living room? Right? It's flattened out a little bit now. It's not quite as box-shaped as it used to be. Now it's a little more on the wall. It's nice and flat. But how many of us sacrifice a ton of time to the box in our living room? How many of us sacrifice time with our children to watch, and our grandchildren to watch whatever's on the screen? How many of us watch our TVs based on our team? Right? So we, we watch our corporate brand, we watch our channels, we would never watch those other channels. And we use this box in our living room to reinforce our own beliefs about ourselves and our world. See, maybe this is not as weird an idea as we might think. It's not just TV, there's all kinds of stuff in our lives. In fact, on the cover of your bulletin is this quote by John Calvin. And John Calvin said, the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us, from his mother's womb, is expert in inventing idols. So here's what happens in our life. Because we have a God chair, and because we're supposed to have God in that chair, we're made to have a God chair, 
We are really good at putting stuff in this chair. And we take all kinds of things, even good things, and we put them in the God chair, and they have problems for us. What about work? Can work be central to your life? How many people do you know that have sacrificed so much time for their kids, their grandkids, their passions? Because they were actually focused on work. What about family? Family can be really good, but how many of you know somebody who is like obsessed with their kids to a point that it's not super healthy? Right? I know, I know dads that are living out their fantasies of making Major League Baseball and trying to force their kids to make Major League Baseball. And we hold up our kids with this kind of high esteem that, that can border on problematic. I know other people who are living for their parents' approval or to prove their parents wrong or to be nothing like their parents. But do you know what in every case they've done? They've set their parents in the God chair. We do this constantly. Sports can be an idol. Sports can be an idol. In fact, around here we have this saying for Steelers fans, I bleed back in gold. You know how religious a term that is? My life's blood, my life force is black and gold. That's a really strong statement, everybody. Our mood and our outlook rises and falls with the score of our favorite teams. We sacrifice big bucks to go to games and to wear all the gear. We love our players and our teams, and we are loyal to them. I was thinking about this this past week. I got to go to my first Pens game, my first Penguins game, and uh, it was a blast. I love it. But I, I noticed how liturgical some of the actions at the Pens games were. Liturgical, like churchy. So if you go to a Pens game, there's a, the Penguin will have this, uh, uh, this drum. Okay, how many of you have been to a Pens game and you know what I'm talking about? So, and the, the Penguin will go bam, bam, bam. Everybody in the arena can hear this. They'll be doing it quiet time. And what do they say? Let's go Pens. And I understood that liturgy immediately. Okay, third time it happened, I was on board. I got it. But you understand, that's a call response. Okay, that's what we started our worship service with. A call response. It's like a liturgy. There's other ones too. Okay, uh, help me out with this. If I say, that sometimes a song will come on at a sporting event game, and go, Sweet Caroline. <laughs> you all knew it. Right? Or, or this one will come on. Uh, Freeze! Everybody clap your hands. You all have been trained in the liturgy of sporting events. You ever see that? No, no, that sounds weird to think about it that way. But if you think it's not a religious kind of feel, okay, if you don't think that's a little bit churchy and religious, try not doing it. Okay? Like I dare you, next sporting event you go to, don't stand for the national anthem and do a half. Right? Just, just sit there. Just sit there. What is going to happen? Everybody's going to look at you real funny. Okay? There, there's something to that, everybody. Now listen. I want you to hear something I'm not saying. I'm not saying all these things are bad in and of themselves. I went to the Pens game. I love the Pens game. Okay? I like singing Sweet Caroline. I like work. I love family. See, these are all good things. Okay? Like, if you're putting drugs in the God chair, that's really dumb. That's not typically what we do. We don't normally put bad things in the God chair. The problem is, we 
good things in the God chair. When we take good things and make them ultimate things, that's when they become idols. Here's how author and pastor Timothy Keller says it. And he's building on the Calvin quote. The human heart is an idol factory that takes good things like success, career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we can attain them. End quote. See, so we take these good things in our lives and we think, if only, if only I really lived this out, if only I got this promotion, if only my kids were really great and fantastic, if only I finally got the approval of my parents, if whatever. And I put this if in my life, and I think I'm going to have security, I'm going to have safety, and I'm going to have fulfillment if I ever get that thing. Everybody, that's an idol. And here's the problem with that. Those things can't keep up. Those things can't live up to what God is and what God should be in your life. In fact, one of the hardest things God can do to us sometimes is let us have our idols. Like, oh, you think, you think you're going to be fulfilled if you get out of that relationship or you get that job. God will say, go ahead. And you find out how disappointing your idols really are. Let's return to this rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus with what seems like a genuine question. How can I inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him he's got to give, live a good life, and he lists some of the Ten Commandments. Notice he doesn't say the one about honoring no other idols, like no other gods before me, and he doesn't say anything about the coveting one. Okay? He sticks to the ones that we all get, the ones we can all probably agree. Okay? Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Okay? Yeah. Not, not a lot of us are checking the murder box, right? He skips the ones that are hard for him. And then what does he say? He says, well, the guy said, well, I've done all these things. And then what does Jesus do? Well, first he looks at them. And, and uh, this is the Gospel of, of Mark. It's, um, it's typically uh, very fast-paced. Mark doesn't give you a lot of detail. But Mark slows down the action. And he said, Jesus looked at him. Jesus loved him. Specifically gives the motivation that Jesus has for this man when he says, go sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and come follow me. Now, what Jesus, the lesson here isn't that you have to sell all your stuff. Okay, that's not the lesson. Plenty of other people that Jesus meets, he doesn't tell them they have to give up all their stuff. Okay, what Jesus does for this man in love is call out his idol. What he does is he says, okay, You've done all those things. But what about your stuff? And Jesus like pinpoints, like, ooh, right there. What about your idol? What about you put in the God chair? And the man goes away. And how does he describe it? Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. Went away sorrowful. Because he knew. Because he knew how hard that would be for him to give up. Jesus doesn't ask us all to sell our stuff. But, but he does sometimes ask us to give up our idols. Okay? In fact, don't be surprised if God doesn't give you your idol. I've known plenty of people that prayed and prayed and prayed for something, and what they were actually praying for was the idol. Don't be surprised if God doesn't give you your idol. 
Bible describes God as a jealous God. It doesn't mean he's jealous like a teenager fighting over a boy or something. Okay? It means God rightly and justly is jealous when he's got a chair and you put somebody else in. Okay? God is jealous of that. Why would God give you your idols? Back again, I think one of the harshest things God can do to you is give you your idols. Okay, you want to be famous? You want to be rich? Hey, you want that divorce? You, you think that'll fix it? Go ahead and have it. And then we're left disappointed, finally realizing that it wasn't good to begin with. There's this great line in Exodus 33, where Moses comes down off the mountain, he gets the Ten Commandments, and um, the, the people, while he's been up there for a while, have built this golden calf. Remember this story from Sunday school? They built a golden calf, and Moses is mad, and he breaks the tablet. And then he does something really strange. He melts down the golden calf. He grinds it into a powder. He puts it in water, and then he makes the people of Israel drink it. Isn't that gross? How gross would that be? But Moses wants them to taste the bitterness of their idol. He wants them to taste how bad that idol was. That, 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 that's bitter. That's terrible. That's not going to help you at all. Don't follow that anymore. Don't be surprised if God doesn't give you your idol, if God points out your idol, and if sometimes God lets you taste the bitterness of your idol. Because he is rightly jealous when we put all these other things in the God chair instead of him. So who or what is sitting in your God chair? For many of us, it's kind of musical chairs, I think. Right? we got lots of things that sit in the chair at various times. We sit there and we put something else there. Again, it's not that those things are bad. But when they're ultimate, they've taken the place that God is supposed to take in our lives. Now to close, let me, let me give you a little strategy. How do you get the chair right? Well, this week is Thanksgiving. And I think thanksgiving or gratitude is a great way to start getting the chair right. Okay, the question is, what are you thankful for? What are the good things in your life? I'm thankful for my job and for my family and for some success that I've had and for some of the possessions that I really do appreciate and enjoy. I'm thankful for a lot of these things. But you see, instead of just being thankful for them, if this week for Thanksgiving you thank God for them, start to get the chair right. So you don't just say, I'm thankful for my family. I go to God and I say, God, you gave me this great family and I'm so thankful. God, you gave me the opportunity to do this work and I appreciate so much that I get to use my gifts in this way. You start saying, okay, I'm thankful for the stuff that God put in my life. Now you get the chair right. Then all those things can be good things. They can't handle being God things. They cannot take the weight of that. But you can be grateful for those things. God who sat in the God chair and gave them to you. Get gratitude right and I'm telling you, you're on your way to getting the God chair right. So may this image kind of haunt you a little bit. May you think through what, what's really at stake in my life, what's really at center, what's really sitting in my God chair. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.